Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Get Started Podcast. My name is Patrick McBride, agent and uh, agency owner and founder here at the McBride Agency. Each and every week, we dive into the amazing stories of local community leaders and business owners who have taken their passions and turned them into successful ventures. From humble beginnings to remarkable achievements, we will explore the challenges, the triumphs, and everything in between in these incredible individuals' lives. And this week, we are joined by none other than the one, the only, the incomparable, Mr. John Mandrell. John, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Best I've ever been. Me too. <laughs> Every day keeps getting better, right? That's right. That's what they keep telling me. Yeah. And then and then you have kids. Uh, and then every day is unpredictable. And then every day is unpredictable. Yeah. So today today was a... Uh, so I know this podcast is, is released in, in April, but today's mid, late February, and it was a delayed start. And I'm just going to throw this out there for anybody who might know the superintendent of my school district. Delayed starts are worse than snow days. I think she, I think she would probably tell you that. Yeah, yeah. So delayed starts are very difficult. Oh man, there's a lot what? of coordination that goes on, and and there's a lot that goes into the overnight that nobody realizes either. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah, we were. Uh, so we've got an eight year old. It's a third grade. He's he's like, Dad, I don't want to go to sleep. We're gonna have a snow day tomorrow. I'm like, No, nah, Bob, I don't think you are. He's like, No, I think we're gonna. I'm like, Well, you need to head to bed. He's like, Well, can I stay up all night? How how's this? If I get a text that there's no school. Before you fall asleep, I'll come back. I'll come up, let you know. And you can stay up all night long, which we know he won't. You know, he tuckers out around 1030, go to bed, watch a movie, do your, your e-learning the next day or, you know, whatever is all good. So he gets up this morning, the delayed start, let him sleep in. And I get a text from my wife. Um, I'd called her for something early and I'm like, hey, how's your morning? And I had, I had left early because I didn't have to take him to school. Left early, got here, got some work done. And I got a text and she goes, well, you asked how my morning was and uh, it was pretty rough, but I did eventually get an apology from the child who told me to go to hell this morning. So we have an eight-year-old who told my wife where to go. I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that when I get home today. <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of environment I'm walking into. Well, if it was like when you and I grew up, we had to think about that all day. And oh, dad's man. coming home. I Or my mother, too. You know, it was... Yeah. There was a suspense for the day that was part of the discipline. I don't, I hope that that's enough because when he, you know, when he comes back and he's humble and he's like, you know, that was inappropriate. He is a very, he is our aggressive child, which is weird to me to be the youngest and be so, and maybe not, I guess it's that, that I'm, I'm so small in comparison to everybody else. I've got to be louder and bigger and bolder, but man, he is, he's tough sometimes. He well, is so tough. I say this often. I was an expert in parenting until I had children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, every day is different. Their lives are changing every day. There's always a lot of things going on behind the scenes that their lives you got to learn a lot about. So, you know, maybe there's some other things in there you can unpack to figure out what led to that because ideally he's probably not communicating with you that way. So, you know, if, if there's, a, there's, there's a, another story behind that that, you know, led to the stress of that moment. I just... I can't imagine the amount of stress an eight-year-old has yeah. that would that would cause him to tell. And listen, I'm I'm not scared of much. Uh, infantry Marine, like played with guns, blew stuff up, saw some things in my life. Right. The the scariest thing I know is five foot two and sleeps in my bed. Right. And like right. she is she is the epitome of fear for me. If I'm scared of something, it's her. And and he said that to her. 
it just says a lot to me. So yeah, we're going on a rabbit trail here. John, but, that, but that hurts you too, though, you know? It does. Because that's your wife. Yeah. And, you know, that's really, you know, that's re- that really strikes a chord with you when, when someone would disrespect your wife that way. There is. So we have four kids. Our oldest is 20. <clears throat> He'll be 21 this year. So we've got four kids from 21 down to eight. And for years, the defense mechanism of you can't talk to my wife that way was prevalent in my mindset. And watching... And maybe it was just maturity in me or emotional growth in me and in, and in Misty. That's not necessarily, while it's still something that rises up, like, hey, you can't talk to my wife that way. That, that righteous indignation of being a young parent and saying to some other male, well, he's four, right? It, it's different in us today. And I am not one that would typically believe in gentle parenting, uh, I think that every kid has its own unique way of being communicated with and too. And I think that uh, we are uncommonly gentle with this younger one. Uh, even though he says what he said, I probably will treat him different than I would have our older ones. And I don't know if that's dynamics of him or or generationally or me getting older. Well, and as they get older too, we went through this. We start to test things more. Yeah. And, you know, t- today may have been a very teachable moment for him. I'm hoping so. Yeah. I'm hoping I walk in the door and they've had a conversation. They both had a good cry. I get to come in, have that stern look and go, I'm really disappointed, bub. And he'll go, I know. Yep. And that was always, that was always it for me. Like, you know, I never wanted to do anything wrong because I was always afraid of disappointing my parents more than anything. When I learned that lesson alone, my parenting shifted. My kids dramatically changed their behavior when I said, I'm really disappointed in you, bub. And they would, they would look at, and it was always the boys. You know, Morgan is, my daughter is so different than the other three. She's so driven. She's such a people pleaser. And, and those there are different lessons we had to teach. But I don't know that I've ever had to tell her I'm disappointed in her. And she might die. Like she might, she might just break down crying if I ever did. So we, we will do our best not to say that to her. Yeah, I grew up with all boys. I was the youngest of three boys. So, you know, now that I have two daughters, I'm learning a lot every day as we go on. I'm not sure what just happened there. I got my test okay it's coming through that's weird though is it coming through your headphones Mm, yes no no okay test you're coming through okay i don't know that i'm hearing myself anymore i got you now okay okay we'll we'll clearly cut that so yeah i was saying that i i grew up with all boys i have two daughters now so i'm learning every day uh you know, how, how to navigate not only parenting, but just the difference between having lived in an all boy household and an all girl household. And it's pretty cool. Actually, I'm embracing it. (laughs) I, I don't envy anyone with more than one girl. I think everybody needs to raise, every man needs to raise one daughter. I'm, I'm a firm believer. And if every daughter was like mine, you'll all be blessed. I really, (laughs) Uh, I, I'm, (laughs) I just don't know that I could have handled more than one. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm handling more than one boy real well either. So I, I just kind of feel that that's, that's a lesson that everyone has. So we've, we've kind of gone down a rabbit trail here, John, uh, for anybody who doesn't know you, give us, give us the high level view of who you are, what you do in our community and, and kind of what has driven you to that point. Like give us the 32nd elevator pitch here. Uh, so I grew up here locally in the Sauk Valley. I, I grew up in Tampico, Illinois, the other Reagan town as as I often say in Dixon. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the birthplace of Reagan, right? Very proud to, to have grown up there. I had a great childhood and 
you know, I spent most of my life, uh, probably like some people, I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. You but did know. I did know. Okay. But life just sort of happens to you, right? Yeah. Agreed. And other things happen and other doors happen as you get to know other people and relationships, other opportunities start to happen. So, you know, I grew up most of my life uh, wanting to serve the community. I couldn't figure out what that looked like. I didn't know if I wanted to be a teacher. I even thought one time I wanted to be a nurse, but then I really zeroed in on wanting to be a police officer. And I loved that work because it was just a wide variety of work and it was really bringing community solutions to community problems. Okay. I wanted to be a part of that. And uh, as I went through high school and college and working here locally, I started at Oregon PD. I loved my career there. Never thought I would leave. Uh, one day I got a phone call from Sauk Valley Community College and asked if I'd consider teaching part-time there because I had attended there and I was still very much in touch with the college and loved it there and grew up going there. And I said, yeah, I'll, I can do that. So on my days off or if I was um, off early enough in the day for my day shift or having worked overnight, um, if I was available during the day, I would go in and teach. So we worked out a schedule that worked and I taught for a year and just fell in love with it. And I thought, okay, here I am again in the middle of some really cool opportunities to serve the community and just be a part of helping others grow. And, uh, I, I left law enforcement, never thought I would do that. And since then I've been at SOC and I, I went from teaching and I got into administration, went back to school, got my doctorate. And now my current role is I'm vice president of academics and student services, where I really just get to be involved in everything, all the different programs, all the teachers, all the students, all the staff. So I should have addressed you as Dr. John Mandrell. Yeah, sure. You. you can just call me John. It's even, okay. it's J-O-N. It's even simpler than the traditional J-O-H-N. That's how simple I am. We're going to fix that in my notes all of a sudden. So yeah, that's good. So yeah, um, you know, and I, I really just, I love the community that that I live in and I love the people that we have. I just believe that our size and our community is our strength. And I don't know that I could agree more. We, so coming out of, coming out of the military, I lived in Southern California, you know, one of the most populated places in the world, moved to a, what I considered a small town in Texas, but was still roughly the size of Rockford. It's about a hundred thousand ish people plus an air force base that had 20,000 full-time, you know, active duty military on it. So Going there, I thought that was great. And then we moved to Dixon. Uh, and then we moved to Polo, right? So we went smaller and smaller and smaller. And the smaller we got, the more I was like, this is ridiculous. And and Dixon, Sauk Valley, you know, I grew up between Dixon and Sterling. I thought that there was nothing to do here, that it, it offered nothing, which ultimately was me with my eyes closed, uh, I believe, or maybe just I was looking for something else. And, and coming back, I think that that is probably the most dynamic thing about our community is we're... A, we're big enough to have some fun things in it. We're big enough to have some resources. But even if we're not, I think we're close enough to everything that I don't have to live in Rockford or the Quad Cities or, or Chicago to be close enough to go do those things. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time in and out of classrooms, whether I was teaching in one or even just when I was in law enforcement, I'd go in and speak to them. And you ask 18-year-olds today, what are you doing after you graduate? And of course, all their hands shoot up and they say they're leaving town they're and leaving. never coming back. Yeah. Right? But we do, we do come back because yeah. it's a part of us. It's woven within us and that this community does have a great place for us and there's bigger things meant for us in it. So, and we I, get to know people and we realize as we get into that 21 to 24 age that those relationships matter. And so many things that we do between, you know, like 15 and 19 determine the rest of our lives. They really do. So <clears throat> it's important in that time that we really get an opportunity to see the experiences we have in our community, the opportunities we have, the people that are here for us, and just how much support there is for you. Yeah, so I was one of those 
that I'm never coming back. When I left, the reason I joined the military is because I wanted out. I was actually going to SOC. I wasn't doing well. Don't look up my GPA or my transcripts, please. Um, he's going to can, now. Let me see if I can pull that up yeah. here. <laughs> don't. That's for another uh, podcast. Yeah, I may be on academic probation if you look me up, if I ever came back. Uh, so don't. But I, I left because I wanted out. I wanted a way. I wanted a right. different world, a different life. And I was like, I will never, ever come back. So if you look directly west out of these office windows, you can see my mom's house. She, and she's not even like way far down. She's the next house up the road here. So moving all across the country, all across the world uh, in, in our travels and, and what the military and what, uh, what our careers previous to moving back to Illinois did. And we ended up a block away from where I grew up and I said, I'd never come back to you. And you kept gravitating back, didn't you? I did. And it happened to me too. One year I left and moved to Tennessee and I thought I was taking, you know, my wife and kids and everything with me. And I actually worked there for a year and then we all looked at each other and said, I, I really think we're meant to be where we started. You know, I think if we could take maybe the community that we have here and if we could just move it down to that Appalachian Ridge, I, I would be in heaven. So we, we actually spent some time in Tennessee this summer and I don't think I have been anywhere that was more beautiful and more, I don't know, we, we saw a lot of kind people. We just, I try to make friends when we go someplace, like I'll go talk to strangers, which is weird. I don't do that at home, but we're out on a trip. I'm like, hey, I'm Patrick. Where are you from? Tennessee's got a touch of everything. Yeah. It's got all the seasons, of course, yeah. but it's got the east, the middle, and the west. They're all very different. One is certainly mountainous. One is middle Tennessee, which is very busy with Nashville. And then you go um, and you go east to Tennessee and it's a little more rural, but it's, you know, it's like turning Illinois on its side. Yeah. And it's, there's a lot of space from east to west. and It's very different along each we were, step. We were down Knoxville-ish. So we basically, and so this is one of our motorcycle trips uh, that we took and we ended up, we rode down just west of Nashville or not Nashville, Knoxville. And then we did like a, like two or three days we spent like in and around Knoxville, just on the motorcycle uh, doing just right, you know, just riding. I mean, nothing. It's wonderful. Like I love my wife. I love we get to spend time together and to get out there and just see the world on a bike. But we spent three days on those roads back there doing nothing. It was great. Mm-hmm. And no worries, no phones, no no emails. You, you can't check an email or a text message on a bike. Like you could. It's, it's not safe. It's only eight hours to get, you know, maybe seven hours to get into Tennessee. Yeah. Three-fourths of it's Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you today, and, and you have no preparation for this. So these is all cold, cold questions. Because I, and I, before we started recording, uh, one of the things I said is I want to build a level of transparency in pursuing our passions. And sometimes we just don't talk about it. You you have small groups of people or small pockets of people who have gone through the same thing that will talk about it to each other and maybe share those vulnerable moments with each other and, and what drove them and why they were successful. And there are some really good programs in our communities that uh, help facilitate that. The So for like the high school students, like the CEO program, and then there is the Sauk Valley Leadership Program that Sauk Valley College is a... Are you the facilitators or the program managers? Uh, I'm on the board. Okay. Yeah. So it really great programs out there that kind of have that conversation, but maybe not everyone can be a part of it uh, with time commitments. Like I'm, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm a dropout of college twice now. <laughs> Put that in your transcript here. Yeah. Yeah. See, no, totally on academic <laughs> probation now. I can never come back. At this point, I've paid for it. So, you know, it's one of those, it was an investment in our community. And I, I believe in the program. It just did not fit in our schedules right now, but. 
those pieces, we wanted to have those conversations with a more, with a really open audience. Anybody who wanted to listen or find these podcasts, I wanted to find as a resource for a transparent and a real conversation in, in your role at the college. And I, I wrote down here what you said, community solutions to community problems. It's something I don't know that that's ever crossed my mind in a, in a conscious way before. And I certainly don't, I didn't think of police that way when I was your age, when you, when you joined the force. So that's kind of a new concept for me. And you're not the only police officer, a former police officer I know, and I'm engaged with. You're not even the first one on the podcast. So uh, tell me more about how you went from that, you know, that transition itself, how much fear or anxiety was in there to, to make that transition from the, the law enforcement world into academia. How was that transition for you? How would you relate that to anybody out there looking to make a similar transition or starting a business or other trepidations and fears that come around that? So it was great. It was, you know, certainly a lot of, um, transition and preparation to the classroom. So law enforcement has a pretty unpredictable day. Um, and it gets sometimes interrupted by some sure moments of terror. And, uh, whereas the classroom is much more structured, but I think the coolest part about being in the classroom is that you get to be on the front line of shaping the next generation of professionals. And I think, and I'll say this beyond just a, a criminal justice degree or those that are pursuing law enforcement. <clears throat> One of the greatest things about working at Sauk Valley Community College is that you get to help transform lives and you see people's lives change. I mean, college students are getting younger and younger, so they're coming to us as young as 14 now. Yeah. And then all the way to the other end of the spectrum. So it is really neat to see that metamorphosis of a student. Um, but I will say part of helping a student become great and achieve is helping them be the whole student. So it does take me back to some of my policing days. Cause there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of personal life things, a lot of things everyone's working through. You're trying to make sure students do everything they can to be successful. Mental health more than ever is something that everyone it's maybe society's biggest challenge right now. Right. Yeah, I agree. It impacts all of us. So you know, as in the law enforcement world, we're often training on mental health and wellness. And then, you know, even in education, we're doing that often now too, making sure we have all those resources to continue to ensure people are well and that they have resources and people to talk to. And that's really important. So there's a lot of camaraderie in both, both professions, I'll say, between having been a police officer and, and being in education. And really what I find both of them, to answer your question really quite bluntly, the transition wasn't that hard because both are about training. Okay. So every day in law enforcement, I mean, an effective officer is a trained officer. Is that, there's that old saying. That's exactly how a college student should think, too, that you're going to be an effective student as much as you're studying and training as well. So I, I think I had mentioned in, a, in, a, in an episode we had recorded previously how I was not one that was prepared to learn for a really long time. So, as, as, so I'm early 40s now. Uh, so you said our generation, and I'm like, I feel like I'm older than you, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. 42. Uh, okay. No, I'm right there. Uh, so. we're, we're right there. Uh, so out of high school, I barely graduated high school. <laughs> it was like I thought I was going to do my junior year twice. Not that I was dumb. I just made no effort. I showed up to class. I turned in what I had to. I got what I needed to on the grades, and I just kind of moved on. College was was not dissimilar to that, and and I know that I had shared not to beat a dead horse. Like I showed up to, I went to Sauk. We had uh, our admission. My admissions counselor. I don't know who they were. I you know they they were not suited for the job. 
but I had 22 credit hours my first semester of college as a kid who got a 2.3. It's a big load. It's a big load. I had no idea that that was a, a tough thing. 15-ish is what it takes to complete yeah. every semester. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't complete 15. I think I may have walked out with six or nine. <laughs> yeah, that's a different number. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the numbers did not match from beginning to end of semester. Uh, my social life, however, really grew that year. and and But the, the social life grew, and so the grades kind of shrunk, and my credit hours didn't, uh, didn't stick. I was still at school the same amount of time. But I was making connections, and we wore T-shirts to to school that you know advertised the party we were hosting, and I I used it as an entrepreneurial opportunity. Uh, but that learning trigger didn't happen until post military, post kids. I was in the career force. I was I was or career in, in the regular old workforce, I guess, trying to make a living, provide for a family. That that learning trigger was maybe fifteen years ago. And so I mean, it was maybe even older than that, it was probably 28 or 29 before it really said, hey, education is something that I have to find. And whether that was going back to school and, and trying again for a degree that just didn't, it just didn't fit. And and while I absolutely know that education is a good thing, like I, I also knew that for me, it, it, like the education, the college route, maybe I bet I could do it now. Uh, I bet my mind would be in the right space now. I would bet that if, if I could free up my schedule, I bet we can turn this transcript around right here. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's not <laughs> let's uh, let's assign that to somebody else. There are a couple other Patrick McBride's in the area. I'm sure one of them would love that. But let me ask you a question. Somebody once asked me that really helped me figure out who I wanted to be in life. That's not how these podcasts are supposed to go. I I'm know. interviewing you. But somebody once asked me the question, what kind of problems in the world do you want to fix? That's a great question. And that's a question I ask a lot of students that are undecided because we have a lot of undecided students. In fact, I say every student's undecided. Just if you look at how, how college students progress from where they start to where they end and where life that's takes funny. them, they're all undecided, right? Okay. What kind of problems do you want to fix in this world? That, that's what you want to get after, right? So for me, I was just really wanting to help the community grow, whether that, again, was being a police officer, being a teacher, being a nurse. I even went through CNA just to see what I thought of it, realized now I didn't want to do nursing. But if you ask yourself that question, you can really, I think, hone in on who you want to be and what you want to be part of. You know, that mirrors a conversation we actually had in the office not long before you walked in where we have a problem with a, with a, with a client. Not that the client's a problem, but that there is just an issue. We, we needed to provide some coverage for some farm animals that they had, and we didn't have it. So we, we talked about, you know, find the solution. This is a problem. They're going to get notified that this is a problem. There's no coverage here. We need to make sure that we fix this. Instead of calling and saying there is a problem, come back with the solution. It'll be an easy conversation. So we're sitting here. I just got a Slack notification that the, the problem is solved, um, that the new policy is in place. And in the middle of that conversation, I've done nothing, but all we did was we positioned the solution. So knowing what problems you want to solve, I, I think that that's, that's something. Uh, and matter of fact, so I'm speaking at a conference uh, in April of this year, 2023. And my entire premise is small repeatable steps. So the psychology of process, how small repeatable steps will slay any dragon. And the that answer to that question is what kind of problems do you want to solve has been one that drives every interaction in every part of my day. From, yeah. from our videos, our video series, from our automations and process in the office, from our communication, from our hiring. Uh, we actually, you, you'll appreciate this. Maybe you won't. I don't know. I'm going to say it anyways. 
Um, this is this is not a rated G podcast. And what I'm going to say is not not rated G. It just sounds like it. But on the bottom of our our morning meeting, we do every Friday morning, and and I'm going to make a T-shirt that says the same thing. We we talk about removing we talk about removing friction, but everything says get the f out. So everything says get the f out because we have to make it dramatic so we remember it. But if I say, hey John, get the f out. Like if there's a situation you come to me with it and I tell you to remove the friction just to get the F out. Like what is it? What's the friction? Finding a way to remove the friction, that's our solution. Like that's the solution we provide in the services that we offer every time we talk about it. So that's a very important leadership lesson right there. And I talk with my staff about it a lot that most of what we do is speak to people. We're in the people business. And this is how I, when I went about teaching law enforcement too, you know, law enforcement had all these tools on their belt, but the most important thing, tool they had was their mouth and the spoken word. It was an art. And taking emotion out of certain conversations allows you to problem resolve better. Yeah. So <clears throat> you asked me the question about the transition from police to education. A lot of it's the same. It's about being a great communicator, um, showing a lot of empathy, um, helping people grow. And maybe the greatest thing we do in, in leadership is, is grow others. And when you think about our community leaders, that's one of the things I'm most proud of in this community is they're very passionate about growing their community and growing all the initiatives they have going on around them. They're very active. They're very involved. They want to bring other people along with them. Is that something that has been more of a recent trend or has that always really been the case here in the Sauk Valley? And, and I say that as someone who wasn't quite engaged as a young adult left at 18 years old. I turned 19 in boot camp, and then didn't come back until 30s. Is that something that's more of a recent trend or has it always been the case here? I feel like it's always been the case. And I think it's always been kind of the secret recipe too, is at some point in our lives, we all met somebody who changed our lives and they, whether they became a mentor to us or we were just sitting next to them. Uh, I remember sitting in graduate school and at the time, my plans were nothing more than just to get a master's degree and continue in law enforcement. And sitting next to me was a guy by the name of Danny Langloss. I had never met Danny before, but we were both local police officers and we became pretty good friends after that day. And just, uh, you know, it was an example of how in the Sauk Valley, two lives can cross and you can really build great camaraderie together, new, new partnerships. So I can say that about a lot of people that I've met in this community, because again, I just think our size is our strength and we connect a lot and, and we come to the table for a lot. I think that's really important is coming to the table a lot, talking about all the different topics, where we can advance, where our challenges are, what we may have some civil discourse on that we can talk about amicably. Yeah. So, so give me, give me a specific time that, uh, in your professional career that from the time you got out of school or maybe, maybe even before that's from the time you decided, let me back that up. Give me a time or a specific event that has helped shape who you are and what your primary motives are today. The gears are turning. Yeah, you know, I think about people a lot. And it's interesting because everything, just about everything through my life has came through Sauk Valley Community College. Like I have not even got into that part yet. Yeah. I, I grew up going there. I was a child care kid there. My mom would put child care there while she went to class. I came back years later as a student. I worked in the child care as a student. But this one, this one is definitely the one that turned the corner, right? I'm kind of wondering if we were classmates and at some wonder, point. You'll know this. I was sitting in the back row of a government class 
next to a young lady and I'm married to her now. <laughs> and there she was at SOC as well too. Okay. And I transferred on to Western Illinois. She transferred on to Augustana and never after we're still together. But, um, you know, we had a lot of similarities together, just in how we wanted to serve the community, how we wanted to help others, what we believed in, in public service and education. We both grew up in small towns. Uh, she grew up in Franklin Grove. I grew up in Tampico, you know, so we live in Polo. It's a great fit. So, so, you know, some of those principles were being shaped along as you, as I was growing up and you just had those moments where you felt that support system and sock was always that for me. I always felt myself gravitating back there over and over. And then years later, I even proposed to her there. So did you really, you know, do I have one moment? No, but I have one place that seems to be bringing everything exciting in my life through. So tell me more about why sock is because you, because you left, you were at sock at one point in your professional career. And then you went somewhere else and came back to Sauk. Yeah. And, and you had a little pit stop as, as our police chief in Polo, which is where I knew you from. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I, I didn't know you before you were a police chief in Polo and, and we live in Polo. And that's kind of where I first was introduced <laughs> to who you were. And it was the weirdest transition to see my police chief is now what, what your role is. So I'm like, that seems really weird. There has to be a story there. So what is it that you do at Sauk now? So, Vice President of Academics and Student Services. So I oversee um, all the things involving academics, the programs, the faculty members, the deans, um, and then student services, which is the first floor of SOC. We just have a, an awesome student services center there. If you've not been there lately, check it out. Um, that's your admissions, financial aid, records, uh, counseling, all that one-stop shop stuff that's on the first floor. That's such a huge core part of who our students are. And those are just amazing people that work in there too that, that really are our front door to the college and, and help um, students sometimes, oftentimes walking in for their first time on our campus. And that could be the hardest part. And then that leads them into programs where we just have incredible faculty members doing things to transform lives on a daily basis and putting students into new careers and new programs and new chapters. So I'm involved in a little bit of everything, you know, maybe somewhat like a high school, like a, like, like a principal maybe. Okay. But um, I'm what they call chief academic officer officer so so you're um, in charge of my transcript uh yeah i could i mean that's admissions but could you change my they're, grades they're great people no we wouldn't do anything like that you I, gotta I come back say, and, you gotta earn those i didn't say would and you it I sounds said, like you could earned you? them sounds like you earned them i definitely so. earned what i got yeah that's that is for so, sure the coolest part about my job is that i get to be involved in everything in the college and that just fits me because i love everything about it okay so uh, having been a faculty member, that was awesome. Absolutely loved my time as a faculty member. The, one of the coolest parts about being a faculty member is that now I get to see students that I taught doing amazing things in the community. It's not like I see them and never see them again. They're out in the community doing awesome things. I bet there's a there's a massive amount of pride when you see those those students be successful out there. Oh, yeah, it's great. And the, I think one of the coolest parts, too, is when they want to come back and be a teacher. Yeah. Because that tells me now that they want to, another level of service has arrived for them that they've thought about. And we're, we're building one of those for you right now. She wants to come back and be a teacher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Somewhere. So, you know, public service is really on the decline. I'm really proud that SOC is a part of turning that around, whether it's teaching, law enforcement, firefighting, nursing. We need great public servants and um, amazing careers out there. And we get to see those people come through, their lives transform, and then go out and be great servants. So, you asked me why I left. Well, um, well, I started there in 08. Never thought I'd leave Oregon PD. Um, then, you know, I got to say, I've always felt like a student at SOC, even though I was working there now and as an administrator, I was always learning from the place. 
and, and building myself up. And then I started getting phone calls about becoming a college president. You know, I was only in my 30s. I thought, wow, you know, that would be a, just another level of leadership I'd be interested in. However, I learned something about myself through that process I didn't realize. Where I lead matters a lot. And I agree. My whole life was shaped here. So I feel so empowered to work in the Sauk Valley. I do my best work in the Sauk Valley. Now, I went down to Tennessee. I had a great year there. The people were wonderful. Um, it was a wonderful school. And then life happened. All stuff happened quickly. Um, my wife got an opportunity to be the Polo superintendent. So her, her, that's like her dream job. Yeah. And she'll tell you that. And then uh, I had some ilk, had some parents going through some health things, and that really changed your life. I'd never dealt with that, so I was back and forth on that a lot. And then sort of at the end of the year, I just thought, you know, I think we belong in the Sauk Valley. Whatever that looks like, I want to serve in the Sauk Valley. And at that time, of course, having a background in law enforcement, Polo's police chief position was open, and I thought, all right, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back into the Sauk Valley and uh, give it all I can and see where life takes me. So, yeah, I did that for about a year, and my old job basically opened up again at Sauk. And I thought, here I go right back to sock again. It, it's just meant, it's just meant to be. That's crazy. And I, I think that, that your, your pit stop in, in Polo, whatever good you did there, uh, I think that our connection from that is the, is, is like, that's the only thing that matters to me. So whatever other good so, you did, you know, whatever. It's interesting. You know, my style of policing is in my, is almost the same style I have in administrating. Get out there, talk to as many people as you can, figure out what you can do to help them. Ask them what's going on today. Yeah. I'm the same way at SOC. I treat SOC like it's its own little village, just like I did when I was in policing. I want to hear from everybody. Tell me what's going down today. What can we do better? Um, and, and just try to grow as much as we possibly can and help each we, other. You can't I, solve anything. You can't provide a solution if you don't know what the problems are. And you don't know what the problems are if you're not asking questions. Yeah. And, you know, so much of policing, I'll say, is short-term problem solving. We want to have long-term solutions for problems, but they're really hard. They're, yeah. they're deeply, deeply complex. But... You know, in education, there's an opportunity there to really have some long-term solutions as, as well. But, um, yeah, I've just found that no matter where I went, collaborating and relationships are the key. That That's the most, I think, that, that matters. So you, uh, I think it's safe to assume that you then prescribe to the right butts, right seats mentality? You have to explain that more to me. So you said with the opportunity to go in and lead and, and be a college president or, you know, academic to, to further your academic career in a different state was good, but you knew that the Sauk Valley was where you wanted to be. So yeah, even we, though you had the right role, it wasn't the right seat for you. Yeah. And, and I did, I had a, I had a wonderful time on there. Great people. Uh, they were great to me when I said, I, you know, I got, I got to go back home. They were just wonderful people. So, uh, we talk about this a lot everywhere, right? Fit. Yeah. And it was a fit for me, but I've always just felt like Sock Valley is where my heart was. So I guess it's more of a, a right butts, right seat, right bus. Yeah. So you could have the right job, but in the wrong place, it's the wrong place. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I didn't, having grown up in such a small town, that's where my children were in school here too. Um, the town I lived in there, the high schools were like 2,500 students. So I'm like, this is going that's, to be really a shock to my, to my kids. They that's arrive. our whole town. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, but I really think no matter where you go, what makes a difference is the relationships that you build with people. Yeah. Um, and that was, and that's the way we teach at SOC. That's the way our new police academy, that's the way we teach it as well. 
community policing, be a great community servant. And, and if you have not met our, our police academy class, they just embody that. Like they are just all about community service. And that is what policing needs going forward. So you, you mentioned the police academy, and that's new for yep. SOC as yep. of 2023. Yep. Right? Uh, now, is that is that local is that local cities and municipalities that are sending you cadets or prospects, or is that anyone can come and go through the course to be then some sort of academy certified and go get a job somewhere? So it varies by state, but in Illinois, you're hired by a police department, and they send you to a police academy. Okay. So police departments are the ones that enroll those officers to us. And at that point, they're a full-time employee. And they're just away for four months doing their training with us. Okay. And I'm sure they're engaging with their department and learning stuff there too. But sure. Yeah, they do four months with us. We uh, in our at our time in Texas, I was freshly out of the Marine Corps, and I got to be the op four uh, during a lot of simulations. And they would do the the practical simulations. We had the soap pellet bullets. Uh, the, the was it the soap rounds or whatever they are. Simunition. There you go. Yep. Uh, and I so I was the bad guy, and we had a certain part of the uh, the the actual scenario that we would have to do on script. We would have to act exactly like the the suspect acted. And then depending on what the officer did, we had to get to at least this point in the script and then we could go off script. And I'm just going to volunteer on air here. If you ever need that guy, I promise I'll only steal one cop car. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how this happens, but you know, in police training, you have to go through taser training. Yeah. And there is always a handful of people that want to line up and do that. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy. I've never understood that. Yeah. No, no, no I'm not that guy. Yeah. I, I don't want to get tased again. I don't want to go through gas chambers again. I don't want to play with those those things, but I, I'll definitely be the guy with the simunitions and stealing, you know, getting pulled over for the, for the fake stops. Uh, we had a fun time. We, we ended up running around and I don't know how one of us did it, but he got around the backside of the car through the woods and the two, uh, officers in training were, were focusing on one guy and I had run around to get away and they weren't watching me at all. And I got in the cop car and took off down the road and it was a closed park. It was a real big park. I mean, it was closed off during the time and they, they just stood there like, well, now what do we do? You can't steal our car. <laughs> <laughs> like This is against the rules. I'm like, yep. That was a lot of fun. I didn't get invited back. So maybe that was I, crossing the line. I know I said it earlier, you know, most of law enforcement education is about training and they just train, they train and they train. Yeah. You just can't train for everything, and you try, but yeah. it's, it's hard to cover. And I think you just yeah. proved that. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I did not get invited back, so I, I don't know if that was a correlation or causation, but uh, that happened there. Uh, with that, so so that's relatively new for SOC. What else are you doing? Especially, and even before we started recording, we talked about uh, artificial intelligence and things like Chat GPT. What are you doing at SOC or in our community to empower students and other business leaders to be innovative? in a market when things are changing so fast. So if you work for a community college and you don't like change, you probably like it more than you realize because all we do is change. Uh, we are constantly just repositioning ourselves, creating new programs, uh, looking for new innovations. And we get those innovations from talking with our community. Again, it's those relationships. They tell us exactly what's coming up on the forefront and, you know, something like artificial intelligence, that's probably the most trending topic right now. I'll say in higher ed for sure, you know, to be able to ask artificial intelligence to write you a paper for five pages and tell me about global warming. Right. So every day we're entering into new <clears throat> innovations that we're preparing for and adjusting to, um, I'll say the same for all of our training, you know, whether it's nursing or it's teaching 
uh, manufacturing. These are all technologies. These careers have changed so quickly. You know, the, many of them are digital. Many of them are based on um, simulation training. So, you know, in innovation, if you ever want to come and see it, check out our simulation lab for nursing, where we essentially have robotic patients now. So these are patients that we are trying as quick, as most as we can to mirror the real life virtual setting of, of working in a hospital or a clinic. So our faculty put on headsets and they're watching through a mirror. Our students engage with a robotic patient who, who is now speaking to them and responding to them, uh, pleasantly and also unpleasantly to whatever it is they're engaging in. So to be able to provide cutting edge training and innovation is, it's a huge part of who we are. It's who we do or, or what we do. And it's kind of the expectation now, right? If you're not always changing and you're not always providing innovation and you get that through talking to other people and staying current and developing yourself, you're probably getting left behind. So how on, how common is, is that style of program and those sort of amenities at a school in a community the size of Dixon or at a, at a, at a, at a facility like SOC, like how, how common is that for a school of your size to be doing those types of things? 10 years ago, I would have said not common. Now I'd say it's very common. Okay. In fact, it's part of even our accreditation in nursing is that you have to have that simulated virtual training. Our police officers are doing the same thing. We have a scenario, a simulation, um, system with I think seven or 800 scenarios in it. They appear in front of a large 12 foot screen and they've got their entire, <clears throat> they've got their uniform on all their equipment, but everything's a laser. They're engaging with this screen as if they're on the street. And it could be anything from somebody who's being very compliant to you to somebody who is very much a danger to you or to somebody who's going to do something you did not predict for, which is a lot of the training, right? Yeah. And, and it's not about judge. It's not about their marksmanship or anything like that. It's about their judgment, their communication skills. Yeah. So it gives them more exposure to the career before they ever step foot out our door. Does that impact the amount of schools that can do what you do? Or or does it does it impact the amount of schools that are available for students? Is it kind of consolidated the market a little bit or I say the market, I mean I'm not is that a relevant term for the for the schools for, for community college? Yeah, you could say the market. Okay. And the market's really interesting now because you can go to college anywhere you want in this world now. And you can probably have it your way, as Burger King says, if you want to look hard enough. So, you know, one way SOC has really changed over the years, I mentioned college is getting, our college students are getting younger. I mentioned all the simulation training that we're doing now. Um, I mentioned all the, the, the keys for partnerships and relationships, but probably one of the biggest ways it's changed there was a time where we probably didn't have to market ourselves too much because we were the only show in town, right? Yeah. You go to college anywhere you want now. Yeah. Um, you can take those classes online, hybrid, live streamed, travel only on weekends, whatever it is you want. Competition's greater than ever in higher ed. Yeah. And we hear it from students too. Well, I'm thinking about going to here to go do this. I'm like, okay, that's a new one for us. Let's talk about where that school is and how you might go from here to there. Yeah. So there's a lot more um, pathways to build for students now too. But then there's also a lot more competition because they might just choose there first, but yet they still live in the Sauk Valley doing it. So Misty and my wife ended up going, she finished most of her gen eds at Sauk after a couple of different options and and through an, in and throughout her life. She finished her gen eds at Sauk, transferred to WGU online, Yep. got her undergrad through WGU, and now is at Capella uh, doing her master's. Yep. So she'll finish up in the next 
in the next 12, like fingers are crossed in the next 12 months, she's done with all of her schooling and she's off uh, actually practicing with her degree. And she's never set in foot inside of, she's never set foot inside a classroom outside of SOC since we moved to Illinois 12, 13 years ago now. Yep. So it, it just like, that's always one of the big questions is what transitions and what doesn't. And our, and our daughter and our son both went to SOC and Morgan did the dual enrollment and she had some other classes that have transitioned over to uh, off to the university she goes to now. And that's something we've strengthened over the years, right? Because there's always people that are concerned that my credits won't transfer. We can tell you instantly what's about to happen. So there's greater peace of mind there. Now there's transferability agreements. We have all this technology. You can just click your, another school, their program, and it shows how SOC goes from here to there. There's the old tagline about community colleges start here, go anywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's really true. Yeah. That's, and I think out of all of Misty stops, SOC transferred uh, more of her credits from SOC transferred than any other school. And she did, there's probably three or four other opportunities in her past. I mean, she went to a full business school uh, and it was one of those credentialing programs that she went to. And I met her right after she finished it with an enormous debt load to pay to the school. And it's not worth, it's not worth the scratch paper that I made notes on in a meeting this morning um, to, to transition into the rest of the world. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't offer any credits. Uh, they had their own internal accreditation and I'm sure they're out of business now, but, uh, you and, see that a lot we, with those. And we do that. Businesses. We do that research with all students. Where is it you want to go? Let's talk with that school. And we do, we talk with that school to say, we want two years here and two years there. What's a two plus two, as we call it, look like. Yeah. Um, where are you thinking about going? What's their history? What's their accreditation? We do all that research for it. And a lot of times we can tell you, oh yeah, yeah, we know them really well. You know, let me, let, let me call Patrick over there at that school. We can talk more. It helps a lot. So that's you know, huge. I had a student this year come in and say, well, I heard all my tra- credits aren't going to transfer. And I said, well, where are you going? They said, Augustana. And I said, well, I can tell you firsthand they're going to transfer. I'm married to one of them. And I met her right here in the same building. Yeah. And then I said, but let me call David up at Augustana and you can just Zoom with him this afternoon. He can tell you exactly where you're going to plug in. At. And he did that. So and take, that, that, take that's that objective away or that, every that part, objection away. Every part of that story is 100% true down to the guy's name. He was, we just, we know people that well. And that's, that's the awesome part of a school our size. That's incredible. And I did not view Sauk Valley College as an asset to the community when I was younger. And, and that opinion has, has dramatically changed as I've, as I've grown. And, and even not, not even that I've grown, but I think that I've just been connected with people who are more community minded and their comments and their opinions of, and you, when the people you respect start to show attention and show respect and speak about things in a certain way, you start to look at it a little differently. Yeah. Regardless of my previous opinions, I am, I am an idiot. Like I am not smartest guy in the room. <laughs> never. Uh, most of the time, uh, I, I actually tell people that I am both an idiot and an asshole. Like, cause I, I will get up there because then when I feel like an idiot, I will then turn into the latter. Right. And I think that's, that's human psychology, right? When you feel dumb, a lot of times we lash out in that irrational or uncontrollable emotional response to an unknown emotional situation or an unknown situation. Yeah, but you have a trait that I tell others is really valuable in this world. Do you know what it is? That I'm honest about being an idiot? No, I don't know. You're close though. You can make fun of yourself. Yeah, that's, that's like, true. I do nobody makes fun of themselves more than I do. Yeah. So like you talk about not being smart and all that. I always tell people if, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Yeah. Right. So I got to figure out what room I might belong in. Well, you're, so, you're definitely the smartest guy so, in this room. So, so. <laughs> but we could talk about what my transcript used to look like too. Trust <laughs> okay. me. My life was transformed by sock as well. Yeah, I don't have doctor in front of my name. So, so I'm, I'm pretty sure no matter what well, way we go I'll here. I'll tell you coming out of high school, I was a 2.5 GPA. Okay. I was 35 out of 72 students. 
if the teacher said write a three to five page paper, what do you think I wrote? Three. Three. Yeah. And that was probably that. Scratching third. it double space. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> Why justified? And then, but something transformed and clicked with me when I went to college and I realized I'm only competing with myself now and there yeah. are amazing careers out here and a community somewhere that's hopefully counting on me to come and help. I think in, and I, I've got one more question for you and we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up, but that hit me when we transitioned into insurance and, and this is not, a, again, I'd say this often, this is not a pitch about our agency. I transitioned and I actually worked for a guy in Freeport because I wanted to go and learn the business before I opened our own. When I walked in, I wanted to go work for somebody because I wanted to know what it was. I had no idea. I knew that the passions that I had about being able to provide solutions and, and that's not a tie-in to what you said earlier, but that really how we, we felt. And I'll share at some point in the future, I'll share kind of where we came and, and why we're in insurance at very specific reasons. I'm one of the guys that had no idea what I wanted to do, but I'm one of the guys that when I knew I wanted insurance, I pursued it heavily. And, and most people in our business just kind of luck into it or just kind of fall in there somehow. But when I decided to go in, I took every opportunity to learn. I went and worked for, I mean, it took a massive, I think I took a 60%, 70% pay cut. And I was the only, the only income in our house to go work for, for a guy in Freeport to go learn for two years. And he knew it. I'm like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to open my own office. Like, I want to learn. This is what I can offer you now. And I did it in Freeport because I didn't want to do it in my backyard. I didn't want to go sell all my friends and family insurance and then open another agency. Oh, by the way, come move over to me. You know, we, we worked inside his system without having to, to leverage those things. It was still good on both ends. But there's something that triggers at some point in everybody's life. I believe it does. And I believe it's up to us to, to take action when that trigger happens well, and not and to ignore it. You might have just said it. I think that trigger sometimes is a connection we make with a certain person. Yeah. Now, I tell the story about my wife. There's no doubt about it. I would not be the same person if I had not probably not met her, you know. I tell you about my academic background. You know, I changed when I think I met her and I saw what she was all about and she wasn't going to tolerate my slacking anymore. Right. So, but then one day somebody said to me, you know, you're not, if you're not quite sure still you want to be a police officer, why don't you go ride with this guy? He's really special. And his name was Mark Dallas. So Mark Dallas was working for Rock Falls PD at the time as a canine officer and I just went to ride along with him and we became lifelong friends forever too. And, and boy, did he ever become special. We yeah. all know what Mark Dallas did. So, you know, there are all these connections we're making along the way in our life that may not click or, you know, until years later down the road, but they matter. Yeah. Just like when my high school counselor told me, go take CNA. I thought, well, why would I go take CNA? I realized I didn't want to be a nurse, but I realized this is going to help me when I became a police officer and I had to help. How to help elderly folks. I had to learn how to talk to kids, right? You ever met somebody who hasn't talk, doesn't know how to talk to kids? <laughs> yeah. It's really awkward. Yeah. So it really taught me how to critically think and help and be empathetic towards others and how to, how to really just, again, be a good community servant. You know, I don't think there's anything else that I could ask that could get any better information out of that. So really, I just to recap the things that I took away from this, number one, it's Dr. John Mandrell. Uh, <laughs> it's John, J-O-N. <laughs> J yeah, Dr. J-O-N Mandrell. Um, I wrote down, the very first thing I wrote down was community solutions to community problems. And, and I think that if we can find the problem we're trying to solve, then we find our passion and we just need to pursue that. At what kind of problems in the world do you want to fix? Yeah. And, and you, I, have, I, I don't know that I've ever said this to you before, and I know that I haven't, but the fact that you have talked so much of everything you've talked about has all been about other people. You haven't mentioned anything about yourself here. And I know that you have a yeah. tremendous and successful wife. You've got you've got beautiful children, right, that are growing and, and learning and 
going through the same stuff that all of our kids are, are growing and learning through, right? This is incredible stuff, but you've not mentioned anything for John specifically. You've not talked about, I want this for me. I want this for me. I'm doing this because of this accolade. And, and I don't know anybody else who would say those things. I, I don't know that I would. I mean, there's a lot I want for other people. Well, you know, I think that's part of leadership though. I really believe the most fundamental principle of leadership is to grow others. Yeah. Is to help those, is to help others grow and position them where they need to be. And then when you do that, other people grow as well, right? Because yeah. they're great leaders as well. There, there are so many books that I've read and so many resources I have dive, uh, I have digested over the last couple of years that I wanted to learn how to grow the business. And all they talked about was grow the man or woman, right? Grow the person, grow the people around you. If I can pour into those that work for me and give them what they need, we will find the success that we're looking for. So John, if people want more information about Sauk Valley College or anything that you're involved in, how would you recommend them get a hold of you? So this is the greatest thing about Sauk. Uh, you can reach out to Sauk in just about any way. And sometimes the easiest way is just walk in the door. Or you can call us, 288-5511. There we go. Or you can email us. We've got so many different things going on, on our website. There's chat bots, there's emails, there's social media. Um, I get a lot of social media questions as well. So, you know, that's a cool thing about leading today too and being involved in with an organization and an educational institution like I have with the mission that it has is that it serves all, it serves everybody all the time. You know, we're just wide open access and we adapt to everything we possibly can to help others. John, I love it. And if, so if you want to know how to get a hold of John, reach out to, or anything that Sock Valley is doing, just reach out to the college there. I know the, the website is just svcc.edu. Yep. So reach out there, give the office a call. Uh, from from John and myself here at the McBride Agency. I just want to say thank you for joining us this week on the Get Started Podcast where the secrets for success are just to get started. So get up, get off your ass, lace up your boots and take that first step. Now, if you have enjoyed the discussion today, be sure to hit that like button uh, on your iPhone or whatever your favorite listening platform is so you don't miss next, week, next week's episode. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere, but I'm going to challenge everybody out there that this week, go ahead and find somebody, uh, find a friend, buy him a drink, buy him coffee, have donuts with him. There's a new place in town uh, and actually talk to them about what you're getting started on. 